We have this Sunday and next Sunday left in Jude, and then we hit 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in that for longer than Jude. Let's just put it that way. So, as we've gone through Jude, I mean, in essence, the theme of Jude is contend for the faith. We say, well, you tell us that every week. Yes, because we need to be reminded of it. To contend for the faith is to fight for the truth of God and his gospel message as it's given to us in his word. Not as we think it should say, not as we desire it for it to say, but as it actually does say to us. To contend is to be active, not complacent. And it's to take hits and bruises. And it's to have the willingness to give our life for the sake of of that faith. And so after 16 verses of Jude identifying the characteristics and the ways of false teachers, we come to the church's responsibility in this fight. Twice in these seven verses today, Jude writes, but you, and he's using what I I believe in what I call one of the most powerful and important words in Scripture, the word but, because he's making a distinction. This is who the false teachers are, and this is their end, but you. So Jude is making that distinction between the false teachers who will face the divine judgment of God and those true teachers and those true believers who received the divine blessing of God, namely God himself and the eternal life that he gives to them. And he starts this passage today with another call to remember. He says, remember, beloved, remember, dear children, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he calls them to stay firm on the foundation of the truth of God and how to respond to those around them, specifically to Christians who are wrestling with doubts, to others whose hearts may have been softened by God to hear the gospel message, and then finally to unbelievers who have no saving faith in Christ. And so we're going to take those step by step. We're going to talk about what, what does he mean by remember what was said by the apostles, and then we're going to deal with those, those three Three, well, keeping yourselves in the faith and what that means as, as believers and then what it means to react and how we should respond as a church to others around us. So first of all, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In one sense, this entire letter is a call to remembrance for God's people. If you remember from the beginning... Remember to contend for the faith. Remember the examples of God's judgments within Scripture. And now, he says, remember what the apostles, Christ's initial disciples plus Paul, what they said to you. In the last time, that is, in the time after Christ's death and before his second coming, which is still happening, we're still in the last time today, During that time, in that last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. 
in these last days, people will arise in your midst within the body of the church who will show contempt for and mock the truths of God. They will profess their own truths, which will be founded upon their own godly passions. They will cause divisions. Now, we have to say something about this because if you preach the gospel, if you live out the gospel truth, it will be divisive. You know, some people say unity at any sake. That is not found in Scripture. God calls the church to be unified. How? Under the truth of the gospel message, under the truth of God's word. That's what the, tr- the church is supposed to be unified. So you can have a lot of different churches and even denominations that are unified under the truth of the word of God. And then you have churches when they hear the gospel message, they reject it. That is division. That's why Jesus says, I came to bring a sword. To turn brothers against one another, sons against fathers and mothers against daughters, because the gospel message itself divides. And so this division that Jude is talking about has to be something besides just a gospel division, because a gospel division is a good division for the church. Here, the false teachers were creating a division based not on the gospel, but as we saw in the last few weeks, on their own dreams and on their own perverted and false teachings. So they were dividing the church from truth and falsehood. That was the division that was being created. And they find joy in it. They live for it. And they want to see that happen. They are also worldly people, Jude says, who are devoid of the Spirit, meaning that they are not Christians. They are not believers, no matter how much they claim to be. They do not have the Spirit of God abiding in them. They have no love for Christ, and they reject salvation by grace alone through faith alone. You know, Jesus says in the book of John, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. These false teachers are saying, I love God by not following his commandments. Do we see the difference there? I hope so. They do not love Christ and they do not love his commands. And so they do not have the spirit of God in them. See, Jude's point is not to restate what he's already explained. Because this is very similar to the previous 16 verses, right? His point is to remind the church that none of this should be surprising. The apostles... The disciples told them that wolves would come into the church looking like sheep. And the apostles told them that they would have to fight for the faith against these false teachers. And unfortunately, it seems that the church had let its guard down. It had forgotten the warnings and allowed these false teachers to get a foothold within the church. So what can they do about it? Spent 16, 17 verses talking about the falsehood of these teachers and recognize who they are. Okay, so now what do they do? And Jude says, go back to the source of your salvation. In verse 20, he says, 
keep yourselves in the love of God. To keep is to watch or to guard. So the church is to guard themselves in the love of God or in the agape of God. That is the deep affections that God has for his people. Guard themselves in, not with, in the love of God. And how does the church do that? Well, he says in the verse just before, first, build, by building themselves up in the faith. Jude is comparing the church to a building, and that's similar to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, where he says, So then you, that is the church, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The church's foundation. Elm Creek's foundation is the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, that is, the Word of God, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Now, not many of us are builders. I don't think anybody's a builder here, actually. Maybe you don't know what a cornerstone is, because we don't need to know what a cornerstone is. But a cornerstone, when you're building a building, a cornerstone is a stone in the corner. Shocker, right? And if that stone is off kilter, it causes the entire building to be off kilter. And so where the false teacher's cornerstone is their own ungodly passions, the church is to rely upon and build itself up in the teachings of of the apostles and the truth of Christ from which those teachings came, the apostles' teachings came. So in other words, to keep ourselves in the love of God, the church must lean into and grow in a faith centered upon Christ and his word and his commands. Because if we do not do that, if we do not submit ourselves to the teachings of the apostles, to the teachings of Christ himself, the cornerstone of our faith is going to be off, just like these false teachers. Their cornerstone was their own ungodly passions, and guess what? They built a foundation built upon their own ungodly fashions, which we've learned over the last number of weeks receives the judgment of God, which is eternal hell, fire and punishment in hell. And so the church, make sure your cornerstone is Christ and nothing else. Not tradition, not preference, not feelings, Nothing but the truth of Christ. Because anything else will lead us down the same path as the false teachers. And so, guard yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God by having Christ and his teachings be your cornerstone. Now, the second way for the church to keep themselves in the love of God is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, unlike the false teachers who were devoid of the Spirit, again, pointing out the difference between false teachers 
and true teachers or true believers. The true church of God is consumed by and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Jude is not pointing to a specific prayer language or speaking in tongues. That's a whole nother sermon. He's actually speaking to the reality that we as the church speak to and make requests of God that are founded upon and controlled by the Holy Spirit who abides within us, who lives within us. Where the prayers of the false teachers were determined by their selfish gain and their arrogance and their ungodly passions, the prayers of the church are determined by God, not by us. Which is why in John 2, Jesus, John also, maybe we should say there isn't a John 2, John also, he says, ask anything in my name and the Father will give it to you. So that doesn't mean like, Father, I'd like to have a Lamborghini in the name of Jesus, amen. And suddenly it shows up. We shouldn't be surprised when it's not out in the parking lot when we walk out of here. Why? Because I guarantee you that is not God's desire for you. When we say in the name of Jesus or when the Bible says in the name of Christ, in his name means in his will and in his desires, in his characteristics. Because guess what God's will might be for you? Suffering and pain and sickness, which we don't like hearing. But that's the truth of real life. When we pray in the will of God, that is praying in the Holy Spirit. Father, this is what I want, this is what I desire, but not my will, but yours be done. That's praying in the Holy Spirit. That's trusting yourself to Him. Unlike the false teachers, where they said, do whatever you want. You're free to just do any sin in the world. God's grace will cover you. Hence, they pervert the grace of God. Do we desire to be kept in the love of God as, God as his people, as the church? Then Jude is saying, build one another up in the faith and pray as the Holy Spirit desires as we wait for Christ to take us home to be with him forever. In other words, our fight for the faith, contending for the faith does not end until Christ takes us home. How many times... Have I said from the front, there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. There is never a time while we're here on this earth where we've made it spiritually. If you think you have made it spiritually and you're good, you're in a very dangerous spot of becoming complacent. And God says, no, fight. Fight for the faith. And you need to do it until I bring you home or I come and take you home with me. The battle to keep ourselves in the love of God is a constant fight for the faith. Again, not only in our own hearts and in our own minds, but against an unbelieving world who seeks to destroy the church from the inside out. Now, don't hear me say, you know, every time something go, goes bad in the church that suddenly the world has infiltrated and we need to close ourselves up. That's not what we're saying because, you know, honestly, we're all sinners and we're probably the problem more often than not. But what he's saying is keep your eyes open and realize that as a church, you cannot become complacent against the truth of God's word because these false teachers are coming in. And before you know it, they've gotten a foothold and they're leading people to hell 
not to heaven. Be aware. Should we think, though, that this fight then requires us to be what I would call hyped up, in a hyped up spiritual state like an athlete does before a big game? So, if you've ever seen, like, I don't know, just watch because the NFL season started or the college season, you see these guys on the sideline before the game and they're like, you're like they're getting all hyped up. Yeah, that's not, that's not what he's saying. It's not like before you get to church, you're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's, let's have this fight. That, that's not what he's talking about because Jude immediately then speaks of mercy. He says, show mercy to those around you. Where in a football game, the point is to hit the guy so hard so the ball flies out. That is not our job as a church, to spiritually hit people so that they become believers. To have mercy is to consider the condition and the need of others. But that mercy will look different depending on the spiritual state of those around us. In verses 22 and 23, Jude points to three different types of people. And these are just, it's not like these three people are the only people in the church. He's giving an example of these three people to say, you need to be aware because everyone is in a different place spiritually. And you need to treat them and to, if you want to say pastorally, deal with them. And it's not just about me being the pastor. This is about us as a church dealing with them. The first person is the individual who has heard and believed the truth of the gospel message that salvation from the wrath of God for our sinful rebellion against him is found only through the life and work of Jesus Christ. But there are some doubts that are now plaguing their faith. We all know someone who's been there or perhaps in this moment you're there right now or have been there in the past. People say, I'm doubting. Does that mean I'm an unbeliever? The fact that you're questioning the doubting, saying, is this a good or a bad thing, is a sign that the Spirit is working on you. And if you are a believer, when you have doubts, this is the Spirit pushing you forward and moving you forward. But to go it alone and to say, well, I'm just going to push through these doubts Don't do that. We are a family. Let's let's wrestle with these doubts together. Let's go at this together because we have all all been there at one point in our life. Jude says, have mercy on them. Consider the condition of their hearts and the circumstances of their lives. Take into account their, their spiritual needs. As a church, we walk with them. We turn them to the truths of God and His, we, and His Word. We remind them that they are beloved of God. And we just saying that, that nothing will remove us from His hands. Build them up in the faith. Point them to Christ and pray for them in the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Jude seems to be pointing the church to those in their midst excuse me, who have heard the false teachings and they're doubting their faith. They haven't rejected Christ. 
They need someone to come alongside them and walk with them where they are. Now, that doesn't mean let them stay where they are. It means walk with them and move them forward into greater spiritual health, pointing them to the truths of God. This is one way to contend for the faith. Have mercy on those who doubt. Because if the false teachers get a hold of them, it will only increase their doubt. And it will not help their faith. Now the second type of individual is one who's fallen prey to the false teachings. It says in verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire and bringing to mind almost something violent. It's a seizing. To snatch is to seize or to pull away. And in this case, there are some in the church who have heard the false teachings and they've gotten sucked into the deception and the perversion of the grace of God. The church must confront these individuals in order to snatch them or pull them out of the fire that is out of God's divine judgment of eternal fire and hell which awaits those who believe the false teachings. You believe these and you stay there. You're either an unbeliever or you're a prodigal son who needs someone to snatch them out of that fire and point them to the truth of who God is. Now, Jude is not claiming that the church has the power to save anyone from hell. None of us has that power. That ability is reserved for God alone. Only God can save souls. But the church is called to confront others with mercy, with the message of the saving grace of Christ. Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone not by our own doings, lest we boast of how wonderful we are. And though our words will not and cannot save them, those words can lead them to the one who saves, Jesus Christ. We do ministry here not for the sake of Elm Creek, not so that we look good to the world, We do ministry, we serve God here for His name's sake so that when people join us in these ministries, when we have conversations with people, that we point them to the one who saves. And not to us, but to Him. Now the third type of individual is an unbeliever. He says again in verse 23, "...to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh." We who are believers are to take into account the spiritual condition of the unbeliever. And we should never be surprised when those who hate Christ refuse to obey Christ because they don't know him. They don't love him. He is not their master. He is not their Lord. He is not their Savior. And so as the church, we show them mercy we take into account their heart of stone and we patiently but clearly teach them the truth of the gospel message so that god may save them but we do it with fear not fear of them we have we have no reason to fear unbelievers we have no reason to fear satan himself as the church 
We don't, need, we don't need to fear them. Because we have the one who is in control of all things. He's the God of the universe. And if he's on our side, then who could be against us, right? That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but we don't have to fear them. So this is not a, <coughs> excuse me, it's not a fear of the world, but a fear of falling prey to the same sinful passions as these individuals. Because easily you can be deceived as the church. And though specifically speaking of fellow believers who have sinned, Paul in Galatians chapter 6, 1 says this, and this helps us to kind of understand what this fear is. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Mercy. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so, we are to gently and with mercy confront others, confront unbelievers, but we should do it with fear, knowing that we too could easily fall prey to the same sinful desires. There's a reason why false teachers get such a large gathering. They tickle the ears and they say what you want. We need to be careful We need to have fear that we do not fall prey to the same teachings and the same sinful desires because we are to hate even the garment stained by the flesh. That the influence of these false teachers is what my study notes in my Bible call a contaminating influence on the lives lives of these individuals. Their false teachings had polluted their minds and their hearts, and any contact with them must be done with fear and trembling so that we would not fall prey to the same spiritual contamination. So do it with fear. Simply put, all of this together, we who are faithful to God we need to actually live what we preach. We will contend for the faith. We will fight for the truth of God and His salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, alone by recognizing, calling out, and condemning false teachers and their false teachings. But we will do it all with mercy. We will do it considering the spiritual condition of everyone And always remembering that but for the grace of God, there go I. And so, Jude says, persevere in the faith. This is who the false teachers are. These are their characteristics. This is the way of the false teachers. But you, church, you true believers, you are not like them. You stand firm in the truth with Christ as your cornerstone. And you will deal with these people with mercy. Persevere, endure through the trials that will inevitably come to those who fight for the truth. We may, as his church, keep to ourselves, uh, keep ourselves in the love of God and live with Christ as our cornerstone and know that we've been faithful to God. Should this world take our lives, we 
as his church, will remain faithful. We will not do what is easy. We will not do what is simple. We will do what is hard because God commands us to. Can we say that as a church? And will we live that out? It's easy, it's easy for us to say, is it not? I will give my life for Christ until the gun is to your forehead. Until we actually have persecution, not just hurt feelings, but persecution. Will we contend for the faith? And Judah's saying, yes, you can if you're trusting in the cornerstone. Can we do that as a church? Will we do that as a church? My prayer is that we do. Father, I, I pray you would use these words of Jude to convict us and encourage us. Help us not to just speak of persevering and contending for the truth of your Son. That whether we lose friendships whether we are even persecuted and our lives are taken or our livelihoods are taken from us, that we would know that as your people, you will care for us. You will provide for us. And even should our life be taken, you will care for us and provide for us for all eternity in your presence. We have nothing to fear, so help us to stand firm on your truth to not waver to the left or to the right, to have your Son as the cornerstone of our faith, that we would abide in your love, that we would guard ourselves in your love and in nothing else. Help us as your people to show mercy to those around us because you have shown us great mercy, Father. And we ask that as we live out our faith, Father, that you would save those around us through the words that we speak, that they would, those words would point them to you, that you would soften hearts, that you would save souls, and that we would be able to glorify you all the more for what you have done in their lives. Keep our eyes open, Father, for those who would want us to stray from you and so lead people to eternal death and away from the eternal life that is found in you. Strengthen us as your people, Father, so that we might stand firm on you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing our final song together?